Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to look at this entire chapter. And we're going to do so with the idea of of having assurance of salvation versus the doubt that a lot of believers wrestle with from time to time. The Bible says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. By the way, um, a lot of the new versions of the English Bible eliminate verse 7 from your Bible altogether, which, by the way, is the strongest single scripture anywhere in the Bible on the Trinity of the Godhead. Why do you suppose someone would do that? Why do you suppose someone would do that? And uh, if you're here this morning and you say, well, you know, mine doesn't have verse 7, then it's time to get a King James Bible. Time to get the Bible that has it. And uh, some of them will just eliminate 7. They'll go 5, Six, eight, which I always thought was interesting math. Or they'll take seven out uh, where it says that these three are one and just give you the back half of six for the first half of seven and the top half of eight for the back half of seven, which is pretty deceitful. But anyways, I thought I'd throw that in there. Verse verse nine, (coughs) if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Verse 12, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You know, I'm glad that there may be some things in the Bible that are a little hard to be understood. There are some things I could throw out there today, and uh, we could definitely get a lot of different opinions on it, and probably always will. But when it comes to salvation, God's made it plain. And you look at that verse in plain English, and every single one of those words is one syllable. He that hath a son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's really simple. You either have Christ or you don't. And verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. 
And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we consider this matter of doubt, uh, keep me from crossing the line into trying to give people assurance. Father, I cannot do that. Only you can give assurance. And Father, we know the best place to get it is from your word. Father, by the same token, uh, keep me from being a retreader and trying to talk people out of what they already have. Father, we realize that this is a work that you have to do. Salvation is of the Lord. And we are simply the messengers this morning. So Father, help me to get out of the way. They don't need me and my thoughts today. They need you and your thoughts. And we ask that the Spirit of God would do only what he only can do and no man can do, and that is bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, for anyone in this building or looking in this morning that needs Christ, that this might be the day of days for them, Father, and for any believer that truly knows you but is struggling with doubt and with the assurance of their salvation, may this be an eye-opener for them, and we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Let me also say before I get very far into this, next week, uh, I want to throw out a little warning. Uh, if you're squeamish, don't come, okay? Um, we're going to cloud up and rain on some sin next Sunday morning. And I'm not really trying to talk anybody out of coming. I just want you to be forewarned that we might shave real close. And so this way later on, I don't have to hear, well, I came to church and then, yeah, and then, <laughs> amen. All right, we want to talk this morning on the subject of doubt, especially when it comes to our salvation and let me say right up front two things. Number one, there's a number of areas we could cover. For instance, we could talk about the witness of the Spirit in salvation, and that, and that, is, that is a profound thought. Uh, we could talk about a changed life, and that's right here in our text that we just looked at. And that's important as well. We could talk about fruit, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of somebody truly being saved, and those are all great things, and we talk about them from time to time, and we'll touch on them. But I want to I spend most of my time on the objective, legal aspect of salvation. Where is it that we actually go to get assurance of our salvation? How many of you understand this morning that everybody's experience is going to vary? Everybody's experience is going to vary. It can be subjective. Uh, the same with what someone thinks about the witness of the Spirit, how that feels or doesn't feel. And so I'm not going to go into those areas primarily for the sake of time, but also because I want to focus on the area of the legal aspects, that is, what does God's Word say? Now, I am not going to try to give you assurance. I can't do that. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. But I want to point you to the Word of God where you can get assurance if you know Christ. Now, let me also say this. The flip side of this same coin 
If you'll keep your hand here, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And I also want to throw this one little caveat out there. Is that if you're not saved, you shouldn't have assurance. And you should have more than doubt. You should be under conviction. And take a look at at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Now this is something Paul tells all of us to do. And again, this is where things like the witness of the Spirit and the fruit and the changed life come into play. And if you look at verse, if you look at verse 5, he says, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Uh, there's always a temptation when something's being preached on to think, yep, I'm glad he's preaching on that because brother so-and-so really needs that. And, and by the way, that's not only incorrect in passing judgment on someone else, but it means we're going to miss a blessing. Because all we're doing is worrying about what someone else is getting out of it and not tuning in and getting something from it ourselves. But he says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Prove your own selves. Know ye not uh, your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be uh, reprobates. And someone can be reprobate by professing to know Christ without knowing him and not bearing any fruit that proves that profession out. So God tells us to examine ourselves in that. And I would never attempt to try to give you assurance of salvation if you are the way John Wesley described. And I'm going to read to you what he said about this very matter. He said, Art thou fighting daily against all sin and daily more than conqueror? I acknowledge thee for a child of God. Art thou fighting but not conquering? Uh, Then thou art not yet a believer in Christ, but follow on and thou shalt know the Lord. Art thou not fighting at all? but leading an easy, indolent, fashionable life. Oh, how hast thou dared to name the name of Christ, thou sleeper. Call upon thy God before the deep swallow thee up. Now, I I quoted that for this reason. I have to admit, we live in a day and age. This is sort of a... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Inauspicious occasion when you start trying to preach about assurance in a day and age where there's a lot of this sort of bubblegum professions of faith. And you talk to some of these people, you knock on a door and you ask them if they're saved or you try to give somebody a track and you ask them if they're saved and and they give you this sort of, oh yeah, I did that once kind of answer. And then when you ask them about their Christian life, it hasn't seem to affect any of it. Their life is unchanged. There is no fruit. And, and they profess they know God with their lips, but in, in, in their words, they're reprobate. The Bible says that's proven, proven out, tried and proven out faulty. And so I'm not here this morning to give anybody like that assurance. If, if your salvation is just a, a little cheap little bubblegum profession of faith where you took it and now you can leave it. 
you better be looking in a different direction. Am I really saved? Did I really come under conviction? Did I really trust Christ as my Savior if my life is completely unchanged? But that's not, that's not who the message is aimed at this morning. The message is aimed at someone this morning who has trusted Christ as their Savior. Think about it. If you're the devil and someone doesn't know the Lord, what are you going to try to do? Tell them they're okay. Tell them they're okay. Don't worry about it. That's, that's the bubblegum profession of faith. But if somebody is truly saved, one of the things you're going to try to do is talk them out of it. Because, folks, whether you realize it or not this morning, everybody here that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior and you have the Word of God, you are a threat to Satan. He doesn't fear you, but he fears the power of the gospel. And that you might open your mouth and tell somebody else how to be saved. But you want to know something? If you're not sure about it, you're saved. You're not going to open your mouth and tell someone else. And that's why he would try to make us doubt. All right. So let's, let's think about this for a second. There is one of two reasons that someone can have doubt. Number one. They just actually have uh, doubts about it, and, and, and they think it through, and in many cases, they overthink it, and that's why they don't have assurance, and we're going to deal with that this morning. The second reason could be someone, because someone thinks it's presumptuous to say, I know that I am saved. Now, for a lot of years, getting saved in an independent Baptist circles and learning about the doctrine of eternal security and having assurance, I didn't realize what a staggering minority that particular doctrine is, even in the realm of Christendom. Do you realize that most of professing Christendom falls under one of two categories, either Calvinism or Arminianism? And Arminianism, in its simplest terms, believe that you can get saved by grace through faith, but you can lose that salvation. You've got to keep it. So someone like that believes they can have it today and lose it tomorrow. In the Calvinistic system, to be honest with you, I personally believe there's less assurance there than there is with the Armenian system. Because the final tenet of TULIP, total depravity, unconditional election, uh, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and then perseverance of the saints, that last, that last letter, perseverance of the saints, states that you have, to, you have to persevere to the end of your life to know you're saved. Well, folks, that's less assurance than the Armenian. The Armenian could say, I have it today, and I might lose it tomorrow, but I know I have it today. A, a true Calvinist that takes the five points seriously can't say that. He has to say, I won't know till when, the end of my life. Folks, let me just say this to you. As you study the environment around you in regard to these matters, you're going to find that believing in the assurance of salvation and eternal security as, as so many independent 
Bible-believing Baptists have over the years, you're going to find you're in a staggering minority. And you say, what do I make of that? What I make of it is this. Go with what the Word of God says. Not, not through some Christian philosophy that has come down to us through the decades, through the centuries, through church history, and has gotten mixed up with man's philosophy along with the Word of God. Just let's go with the Word of God this morning. Amen? And, and let's get our assurance from that place, from the Word of God. Now, a lot of you got saved at a young age. And, and let me say this to you. Someone, someone made a very profound statement about this one time. He says, you know, I, got, I made a profession of faith at six years old. And he says, I've done most of my sinning since then. And that's a fair statement. I mean, really, how much really bad sinning can you do before you're, before you're uh, seven years old? Okay, now I know, sinner by nature, I understand that. And, and kids can be stinkers, and we all know that. If you've ever raised any, you, you got that figured out. But, uh, I mean, seriously, how much heinous sin and crime can you get involved in before you're seven years old? Usually, after you make that profession of faith, and as you grow older, that's when you have some of your greatest struggles with some of your greatest sins. And so sometimes people get confused that way. Did I really get saved? And, and again... The, the problem with that is it has to do with circumstances. It has to do with circumstances, the thought process. For instance, sometimes uh, a loss in our life or a health crisis, or here's a big one, unanswered prayer. I met more than one believer that, that lost assurance of their salvation because of unanswered prayer. And then amazing grace turns into a floating opportunity. And instead of singing constantly abiding, we're, sing, we're singing constantly deciding in our hearts if Jesus is mine. So again, what is the answer? The answer is the word of God. We've got to go to the word of God. And I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And take a look at verse 5. Now, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through verse 9 gravitates in the direction of what I was talking about earlier, looking at the fruit and the changed life, and that is important. But I want you to notice one word that comes into this that's, that's very important that I think is, is underappreciated. Verse 5, and beside this, give all diligence uh, to add to your faith uh, virtue. Um, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, what's the next word? Knowledge. Knowledge. Now think of it. You look at the rest of it to knowledge temperance, and then temperance patience, and patience godliness, and godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness charity. And, and those, are, those are those subjective things we can look at our lives and say, okay, have my life changed in that, gone in that direction? Since I've been saved. But, but one of the first things he talks about to add to, the, to, to, to faith and virtue it is knowledge. The, the knowledge of what, what God's word says about salvation and how we can get that assurance. Do you know, 
it's not unusual to doubt. Think of John the Baptist when he was in prison. It was a circumstance that caused him to doubt. And, and he sent some of his disciples and said, look, are you the one or do we look for another? He, he had his doubts. It's, it's not an unusual thing. Uh, there, there is a town in Texas, a little vi- village, and the name of it, believe it or not, is uncertain. Now, can you imagine you meet somebody from this place and you say, where are you from? And they say, uncertain. Well, where do you live? Uncertain. And I think the only way that we can keep from living in uncertain is by resting in the written word of God. What God's word says. Because there are consequences to doubt. Uh, let's go back to 1 John and let's look at chapter, chapter 5 once again. And notice one of the things that, that our assurance of salvation affects. Take a look at verse 4. Or excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, keep your hand there. Go to chapter 1, verse 4. Just had a Biden moment. <laughs> I am running for president in 2024. Okay. Um, Look what he says early in, 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 the, in the book of 1 John. Look at, look at chapter 1, verse 4. He says, These things write we unto you that your what may be full, that your joy may be full. And then you get into chapter 5, and he starts hammering this business on assurance by the written word of God. Folks, this affects our joy. It affects our joy. D.L. Moody once said, I have never known a Christian who was prosperous in the work of Christ who did not have assurance of his salvation. Many years ago when they were building the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, uh, they they had had uh, a little over 20 men, I believe it was 23 men, plunged to their death. They invested, and and this was a lot of money in those days, they invested $100,000 for safety netting to prevent any more of these falls. Now, there were a number of men that still fell, but they they landed in the net, and there were no more men falling to their death for the rest of the job. You know what they found out? That they actually had a one-third increase in production, 33% increase in production. You say, why is that? The men felt secure. Secure. You know what I believe? Having assurance of our salvation helps us to be more productive as Christians. When we doubt, it destroys our joy. When we doubt, it can destroy our effectiveness in service. When we doubt, we certainly are not going to be trying to win souls to Jesus Christ. The consequences of this doubt are great and the consequences of assurance on the flip side are also great. So the devil is going to resist. The devil is going to try to cause you to doubt. Uh, Martin Luther, it is said that there was a place where he had thrown an inkwell in his study 
where he thought the devil was standing one time, that the opposition was so strong. People that are doing something for the Lord are going to be people who have settled this matter of salvation. So let's talk about the causes of doubt. Let's cause, talk about the causes of doubt. Um, growing up, I didn't sing this song because I was raised in a false religion, but some of you may have sang this song. It was on a Monday, someone touched me. And then everybody that was saved on a Monday would stand up. And then they'd sing it was on a Tuesday that somebody touched me. And everybody that was saved on Tuesday would stand up. And so forth. And uh, I talked to a guy one time that said that he actually, you know, because he wasn't sure what day he was saved on, he just would land on a day and go ahead and stand up. But it, it, it caused him to doubt. It caused him to doubt. Uh, here's another thing. We hear the testimony of other people, and we hear very great detail. I was at the south end of the cornfield. I was plowing with old Elmo. And I stopped at 10 minutes after 11 and got down on my knees and prayed two hours, three minutes, and eight seconds. And Jesus came into my heart, and I've been saved ever since. And you know what? I praise the Lord if you have a testimony like that with that much detail. But maybe you don't. But maybe you don't. Some would say, well, if you can't remember exactly the day that you were saved, then you couldn't be saved. Let me ask you a question. How many of you remember the day you were born? I don't. I don't remember a thing about it. But I know I was born. I know I was born. Supposing you went to the bank to make a withdrawal, and they said to you, uh, we need the date that you made the deposit. And you say, I don't remember when I made the deposit. Then they say, well, you can't, you can't withdraw any money. Folks, if you have money in the bank, you have money in the bank. My ability to remember is not the basis of my assurance. What happens when someone uh, begins to lose their memory? Does that mean they're any less saved than they were before? You see, some doubt because they can't remember when they were saved. Some doubt because they didn't have the same experience as someone else. And we have to be, be careful about that. Uh, the Bible experiences aren't all the same. Matthew was sitting at the receipt of customs collecting taxes for the Roman government. And Jesus came by and said, he said, follow me. The apostle Paul is riding on the road uh, to, to Damascus. And a light shines out of heaven. And a voice speaks to him. And he gets knocked down. And he gets blind for a while. And imagine the fallacy of Paul going around talking and saying, well, you know, unless you heard from the Lord, unless you got knocked down, and unless you got blinded, you're not saved. Let's take our Bibles and go to John chapter 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It does not say he that believeth on the Son and has a certain experience has everlasting life. It doesn't say he that believeth on the Son and has a certain feeling, has eternal life. Neither does it say, he that believeth on the Son and remembers the day and the hour 
has everlasting life. What it does say plainly and simply is he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Do you believe on the Son this morning? Do you believe on the Son of God that he is your Savior? Do you you believe that he is the only reason that you have any hope to go to heaven whatsoever? Do you believe that you were born and you were a, not only a sinner by nature, but a sinner by choice? And, and God saved you as a result of you turning your faith toward him. The crucified, buried, and resurrected son of God. You turned to him. And by the way, that's what repentance is. Uh, there's so much argument about repentance that some of have thrown up their hands and says repentance has nothing to do with salvation. It has plenty to do with salvation. You, you come to a place where you agree with God that you're a sinner deserving to go to hell. That is repentance. You agree with God that your sin is an affront to his holy law. That is repentance. You come to a place <coughs> where you don't want to be that guy anymore. That is repentance. And then you turn to Jesus Christ in faith, and he is your Savior. That is repentance, folks. That is turning away from whatever you were trusting. That is turning away from the life you were living to the Son of God. The Bible says in the book of Acts that Paul preached repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. We have assurance based on the unchanging word of God. For feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, naught else is worth believing. Though all my soul should feel condemned for one of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll stand on his unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things should pass away, his word shall stand forever. I do not know I'm saved because I feel good. I know I am saved because God says so in his word. And in the end, that's where we have to rest our confidence. Many of you are married here this morning. And someone might ask you, are you married? And you might show them a wedding ring as proof. Or just answer the question, yes. And and when someone asks you, how does it feel to be married? Well, I guess it would depend on the day that you were asked. Amen? I mean, because we know some days it feels great to be married. And every once in a while, very, very rarely, hardly ever, it doesn't feel so good to be married. And I think anybody married knows about those times. But does that change the fact that we are married? No, feelings fluctuate. They go up and down. But be my feelings what they will, Jesus Christ is my Savior still. Let's talk about the cure for doubt. Look at verse 13 in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. These things... 
have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Now notice, believe is in the present tense. So we can get all caught up in this. Well, on the day I did what I did, did I do it the way I should have done it? It's not the way so-and-so did it, and maybe, okay, well, let's just look at the verse. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. If you are believing on the name of the Son of God for your salvation this morning, let me see your hand. Okay. Okay. Then this verse is talking about you. Okay. You say, well, it was a long time ago. I don't remember anything about it. It doesn't say anything about that. I I didn't do it the way the other guy did. It doesn't say anything about that. Um, I don't know how I feel about it now. It doesn't say anything about that. It just says... Unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Look what the rest of the verse says. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. To have knowledge of it, and it's a present possession. Folks, I got to tell you, I get asked all the time, as an ex-Roman Catholic, I get asked all the time, people say, well, what, what verse do I use to try to bring a Catholic to Christ? Or sometimes, and I've studied this a lot, but I don't have nearly as much experience. Some of you say, what verse do I use to bring a Mormon to Jesus Christ? By the way, it's the same verse you can bring a Baptist to Jesus Christ. It's this one right here. That you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. Because most of Christendom doesn't teach that you can know that you can have it. They think you just, you know, go along, try and do enough good deeds to earn it, that when you get to heaven, to the judgment, God will weigh your good deeds against your bad, and hopefully your, your, you know, your good will outweigh your bad, and that's not how it works. If you have eternal life, you can know you have eternal life, and you can have it now in time. It's an assurance that you may know that you have eternal life. What's it all about, folks? It's all about this book. Every other, every other assurance that you can talk about for salvation is something that is, is in some way subjective. The word of God is not subjective. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 21. James chapter 1 verse 21, he says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. The engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Father, God gave us this book, and this engrafted word saves our souls. So the best place to go for assurance is to the engrafted word that saved our soul in the first place. That's that's the best place to get your assurance. And again, I, I'm probably talking to some people this morning. You're not struggling with this, and, and, and all is well. That's great. File this away. You may need it someday. But I'm talking to some people, I'm sure, this morning. You're struggling with this thing. And again, it, it comes down to this mental uh, gymnastics or even in the heart and the emotions and the feelings and what happened in the past. Maybe what you need to do this morning is just clear the deck and say, I'm believing on Christ now. And God's engrafted word has saved my soul. Now. I was sitting in Bible school 
in my second semester of my first year, and I was in a preacher's class, and all these guys are giving their testimonies, and that was the assignment, and I was one of the last guys to do it, and I'm listening to all these very detailed testimonies, and mine was, was a little more vague in the sense I didn't have as many details, and I started doubting my salvation, and this went on for about a month, and I kept going back and forth and back and forth, and finally I turned to 1 John chapter 5, and I kept my old Bible, and, and I'm glad I did. I still got this little note in, in the sidebar of 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, and I just put the date. It was in 1976. I, I put the date down, and it was uh, in the fall of ni- uh, 19, or uh, the spring of 1976, se- second semester of my first year of Bible school. And I wrote that date down, and I put an arrow toward 1 John 5, 13, and I put, I did it. So, I mean, if I, if I get to heaven and find out it happened then, great. If I get to heaven and find out that it was August of 73, like I suspect it was, then great. Uh, I don't care if it happened today while I'm preaching this message. And some of you are sitting there going, that explains a lot of things now. <laughs> Truest thing you said all day. I don't really care. My salvation needs to be based on the word of God, what the word of God says. Second Peter chapter 1. Let me show you how strong this is in the eyes of God. Second Peter chapter, chapter 1, and I'm going to take you to an experience that all of us would love to have. I mean, the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ in the, in the book of Matthew. Wouldn't that have been something to see? Matthew, I think it was chapter 17. And Peter, James, and John saw it, and, and it was it was incredible to read about it. It's, it's hard to even imagine. And, and look, what, look what Peter says about it. First Peter chapter 1, and, uh, or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, that's what... That's what they were when they saw the transfiguration of Christ. They were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Wow. That's like a little snippet of heaven on earth. You know, God's going to have to give us glorified eyes to see him up in heaven or we won't be able to handle it. It would be like getting too close to the sun and staring at it. It would, it would burn your eyes out. It would burn you out. And, and they got a little snippet of heaven. We have not followed cunningly devised fables. We made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. There's that Mount of Transfiguration experience. Is there anybody here that knows Christ that wouldn't want to have that experience? Is there anybody here that if God said, hey, this week you can have that experience and gave you the time and place, <coughs> you'd ask, hey, can my family come with? Can, you know, you'd be excited about that. But look what he says in verse 19. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. That's more sure than that experience. 
Think about it. And any experience is subject to this. That's why, that's why lawyers in court cross-examine uh, witnesses for the other side to try to trip them. Did you really see that? Do you really remember that right? Why? Because people can remember things in a faulty manner, can't they? Or they can forget, or they can, uh, they can lose sight of the details, or it can all change in their mind over time, and you start saying, well, what did I see? Uh, folks, having the word of God it, for your assurance of salvation is better than God coming to you the way he did to Peter, James, and John, and saying, you are saved. And then disappearing. Because further on down the road, you're going to go, well, was that really God? Did I really hear him right? Did he say, you are saved, or did he say, someone else is saved? Right? Hey, guess what? As many times as I would like, as many times a day, as many days as I'd like to do it, I can go to 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, and read, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. That's me. I believe on the name of the Son of God. That you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. And then I can read it again, and I can read it again, and I can look at it, and I can memorize it, and I can quote it. And what's Peter telling us? The word of God is even better than an experience, as wonderful as that one was. He says in verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, until the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts. Folks, we've got God's word. You've got God's word on it this morning. The greatest assurance you can have. I, was, uh, I got sent some literature here a little while ago from a church in Georgia. And I don't know how they got our name, but they sent it. And, and it was all these, all these tracks talking about how this guy really believes that most people that profess to be saved aren't saved. And so, uh, you know, I got looking at it, and, and I understand where he's coming from. Like I said, there's a lot of, a lot of this bubblegum profession of faith stuff. And, uh, but here's the problem. The end game here, the end game here was your experience, your experience for repentance wasn't deep enough. And here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. Folks, I've met people. Um, I just got done reading um, about Geronimo's salvation. Did you know that Geronimo, he died in 1909, but on a reservation in Oklahoma in 1903, during a revival meeting six years before his death, he, he received Christ as his personal Savior. And, and his, his, his repentance and his description of it was very, you know, calculated. It wasn't emotional. Like those, like those people don't tend to be all super emotional like, like others. And, and then I looked at, I looked at uh, uh, read up on Spurgeon's uh, salvation testimony uh, recently for this message. And, and, and the crazy thing about it is he had been under conviction for a while, and his repentance was, I mean, more dramatic and might have seemed deeper than Geronimo's, but the odd thing about it is he, he was going to church and he got diverted by a snowstorm and ended up in a Methodist church, an Armenian. 
And all this guy was doing in, in this, this very small congregation, and a lot of people didn't make it to church, and, and he, just kept, he just kept quoting, uh, look unto me all the ends of the earth and be ye saved. Look unto me all the ends of the earth and be ye saved. And then he pointed Spurgeon right out. And he said, young man, you look, you look miserable. <laughs> Spurgeon said, I wasn't used to preachers telling me I looked miserable, but he was right. He said, I was miserable. He says, and you will continue to be miserable until you obey my text. Look unto, look unto me, all the ends of the earth, and be ye saved. Until you look unto Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and resurrected, you will continue to be miserable. And, and so here, here is this guy that would be a champion of Calvinism being led to Christ by an Armenian. <laughs> I thought that was a little funny, isn't it? You know, just when you can put God in your little doctrinal box, uh, God proves he won't be put in a little doctrinal box. huh? And you know what I believe in the end? I, I believe this. In the aggregate, in the big picture, I believe, as God, I believe God is more anxious for people to get saved than we give him credit for. I really do. I really do. And so, you know, I look at that, that salvation or that repentance experience, and, you know, this guy's sending all these tracts and all this, and, and I'm hearing what he's saying, but, uh, you know, in the end, I mean, should I just, should I conclude Geronimo didn't get saved and Spurgeon did? And, and I've met people where, I've met, we've had people come down here and, and soak one of these steps with their tears and profess Christ as Savior, and then they disappear. And spiritually, nobody can find them. And I've met people, I've come, I've worked the altar, and they come up and, what would you like? I'd like to get saved. Well, do you know your Savior? Yeah. Do you know Christ died for your sins? Yeah. Would you like to get saved? Yeah. Do you ever have someone come along so easily, you almost feel like stopping them and saying, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? And, and then they, 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 they pray to receive Christ, there's no tears, there's no emotions, they go back to their seat, and for the next 20 years, they're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, faithfully. And there's fruit in their life. I, I, you know what? I think in the end, you know what we have? We have the Word of God. We have the Word of God. And there's only two things we can doubt. We can doubt whether we, we actually trusted him, or we could doubt whether he meant what he said. Well, folks, we know he meant what he said. So let's not worry about the past, and let's just look at what the Word of God says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Let's go back there. And in the end, this is, this is what God's Word says. Feelings... Feelings can deceive us. Feelings can change. But God's word doesn't change. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God. Do you believe in the name of the Son of God? Okay, if the answer is yet, yes, that you may know that you have eternal life. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. 
Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Two more verses, and we'll close here. I just want you to look at two more verses, something you can consider and mark and consider later on for the sake of time. Go to First John, or excuse me, John 1. Go to John 1 real quick. John 1. And again, where am I going to get my assurance? Where am I going to lose doubt? Put it away and have assurance. And then uh, Romans chapter 6, from the word of God, from the word of God. I really do. I suspect in the aggregate, after studying this thing out and studying it on the basis of church history and all different groups and who said what to who about what, and looking at the word of God, I, I, think God's more, I think God's more anxious to save people than we give him credit for. And I think this is borne out in the word of God. Look at John chapter 1 and look at verse 12. Verse 12. But as many as received him. Someone once said you can't receive Jesus Christ as your savior and go to hell. You can't. You can join the church and go to hell. You can get baptized and go to hell. You, you can live... You can live a good, moral, Christian-looking life and go to hell. But I believe he was true when he said, you can't receive Christ and go to hell. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Then one more. Go to, go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. The apostle Paul is talking about the believer's death, burial, and resurrection identification with Christ. And look what he says. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now he has been ringing this whole concept of victory over sin through identification with Jesus Christ. But look at verse 17. Look what he says here. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, and before you and I were saved, we were servants of sin. When sin said, jump, our only response was, which way and how far? We didn't have any victory over sin. He said that you were the servants of sin. But watch this next phrase. But ye have obeyed from the what? Heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered you. And what is that form of doctrine? Salvation by the free grace of God through Jesus Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 10, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, it comes down to Bible doctrine, folks. And you believe it from the heart. That's all there is to it. Now, again, if you know where and when and all the details and all that, and you got the decision card, and you got saved at the altar, great. And, and you know what? Feelings are a wonderful thing, going back to marriage. Uh, marriage isn't unemotional. Salvation isn't unemotional. It produces emotions, Amen. But it doesn't determine whether or not I'm married. It doesn't determine whether or not I'm saved. God's word does. Do you believe on him this morning? Is he your savior?
Did you believe from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered to you? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how God, I can't do it for you, that's how God gives us assurance of salvation. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I know I was all over the place. And Father, that's probably due to trying to cram three hours of preaching in about 45 minutes. But uh, God, just used something that was said, something that was said from your word to speak to the heart of that one that's really struggling with this. They've lost their joy. Um, they, they don't really feel like they can serve you anymore, and, and they sure aren't witnessing for you because uh, they're not sure anymore. Father, give them that assurance. And Father, for those that are careless, and they do have this just sort of little nickel, nickel or dime bubblegum profession of faith that hasn't made any difference in their life. They used it to get some Christian off their back, and it's not real. Father, help them to come to a place of repentance where they can believe the word of God and trust Christ as their personal Savior. Help us, Lord. In these matters, help us to go forth from this place today, telling others about you, Father, because there's no news so good as the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Number 388. Number 388. Let's stand and sing. I know not my God's wondrous grace to me He hath made known Nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for His own But I know I have believed and am
would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Amen. I know whom I have believed. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you provided a salvation that we could all know, Lord, that we could get a hold of, that we could understand. And, and Father, you came and, and uh, you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he willingly gave himself for us. Father, help us to realize that, to uh, get a hold of that this year and to uh, assure ourselves in you that we have this eternal life. And Lord, we can go on for you. Thank you that uh, no matter where we're at, we can call upon you and you're there. The assurance of you in our lives. Lord, help us this year to reach out to others. Might we be uh, that light to them? Might we uh, express the, the eternal security that we have to them. Father, we love you. We want to see you work in our lives. Might you get the glory and honor in all that we do. We pray all this in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.